welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the sixth message in our series, Going Through the Book of Galatians. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Just a quick question. Uh, anyone love the Bible in this room? Uh, I'm excited today because I'm about to break a personal record and I'm going to read more scripture in one sermon than I've ever done in my entire life. So let's pray we get out of here today. Um, I'm going to do my best to get through it, but uh, I have a lot to get through and I'm really like going to try to get through actually not just Galatians, but I'm going to try to teach the entire Bible. I know it's ambitious. But what we're going to read for our opening passage of scripture, uh, last week we kind of finished off, if you were here, Paul was answering and asking this question, am I saved by faith or am I saved by works? Am I saved by just putting my faith in Jesus or am I saved by what I do? And now it kind of seems like a weird argument, but know it or, or not, there are tons of people that actually believe that God only accepts them based on their behavior. Like that God is only pleased with me if I act right, if I do right, if I don't watch that movie. If I don't watch that show, then God accepts me. And so Paul is answering this question. What does it mean? Am I, am I saved by faith or am I saved by my own works? Can I actually be a person of faith? That's where we pick up Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, understand then, those who have faith are children of Abraham. For scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Non-Jews. All of us. Come on, somebody. By faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. What he's saying, he's saying the gospel didn't just start with Jesus. Abraham heard the gospel. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly, Clearly, someone say clearly. clearly. No one who relies on the law is justified before God. Why? Because the righteous will live by faith. And the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ, however, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, everyone, a curse it is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us. Jesus redeemed us. He saved us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, might come to us through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I want to call our message this morning the God of covenant. The God of of covenant. Can we clap our hands for just the word of God this morning? Thank you so much, Prince. Love you. Um, so glad. As you can see, there's, there's a whole lot going on there, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of where I want to go today. So, got a lot to do. So, question to get started. How many guys in this room, you would consider yourself a trustworthy person? Anyone in here, like, trust is, is, is something you value? Like, I want to be someone that is trusted, someone people can count on. Anyone in this room? Like, you consider yourself trustworthy? Now, in the same breath, especially for those of us who consider ourselves trustworthy, have you ever had a time in your life where although you consider yourself trustworthy, although your word is really important, have you ever broken your word? A few people were, were honest. Maybe some people are like, no, I'm, you know, I always keep my word. Um, but like, come on, we've all been there, right? Like you said that like you're going to go out in the nighttime with your friends, but as the day has gone on, you put your comfy sweatpants on. 
starting to feel a little more comfortable, starting to get that like, ooh, I don't really want to leave my house, but like I made a word, and then so maybe you tell a white little lie, like I'm not feeling well. <laughs> Come on, we're among friends here. Anyone done that before? Right? Even though like I know my word is valuable, but I don't always keep my word. Um, I, and the reason I want to talk about that idea of trustworthiness, this idea of promises, is because our whole theme for this morning, I want to talk about um, the promises of God. Now, as you guys know, I just shared the title for our message, if it was up there. Um, I called it the God of Covenant. Now, if you've never heard that word covenant before, all you need to know is that a covenant is very similar to a promise. I, I could have called the message the God of the promise. But the reason I use this kind of more biblical word, God of covenant, is because this very thing, um, I think when it comes to us as people, although we know what a promise is supposed to be, for a lot of us, because like I, I can ask how many of us have broken our word, but um, I can reverse it. How many of you guys have ever um, been in a situation where someone has broken their word to you? Right? Anyone ever been lied to before? Right? Maybe it was a spouse. Right, that they weren't faithful, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a business partner, maybe it was someone that was just really close to you, that they were not faithful to their word. They were not faithful to their promise. And so for a lot of us, we kind of have this, this connotation, I think, when it comes to promise, that I know what a promise is, but for a lot of my life, the promises that I experience are more broken than they are kept. And so the reason I want to call this message the God of covenant is because what I want us to understand is that although a covenant and the covenants that God makes, I could, I could switch out the word for promise, I want us to kind of push that word and that negative connotation aside, and I want us to understand one thing and one thing only for today. When God makes a covenant, he will keep his promise. When God makes a covenant, he is faithful to his covenant. You can take it to the bank. He will not, he cannot break his word. And this is good news for each and every one of us today. I told you we're kind of shifting to a part of the book of Galatians where Paul is really explaining the good news. What is the good news? And a part of the good news in the larger context is really that God has been faithful to his promise through Jesus. And so what I want to show today, as I said ambitiously, I'm going to take us through the entire Bible. I even brought my Bible up here just in case I need it. So I'm going to take us through this whole thing and show us that God is faithful to his promise. And I'm going to tie it back into Galatians. So um, just, again, really quickly, I want us to understand uh, where we are in the book of, the, of Galatians and why I want to take us back through the whole Bible. So um, if you guys have, have been with us in this series, you will know Paul has gone to great lengths in order to explain and say, hey, um, guess what? We're saved by faith through grace, right? Saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's what saves us. Nothing else, nothing that you can do. And so the conflict, how many guys know the conflict? You're like, Harrison, why do you explain it every week? Because I'm hoping there's new people. Here's the conflict. There's a church in Galatia, and there's two groups of people. There's the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, and the non-Jewish Christians known as the Gentiles. And so the Jewish Christians are saying to the Gentiles, hey, yeah, that's cool. Put your faith in Jesus. Sounds really nice, but you also need to keep the law. What is the law? I brought my Bible. I'm not going to open it. But the law is, is really starts kind of Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. And it goes all the way through Deuteronomy. So if you have some time this week, just go read it all. Um, that's the law. And so the Jewish people are saying, yeah, putting your faith in, in Jesus is cool. But you also need to keep the law. 
And, and for the Jews, this was important to understand. And this is important for all of us to understand. Because some of us are like, why do the Jews want them to keep the law? Well, it's kind of simple. The law is in the Bible. So you can under, it doesn't come from nowhere. They didn't pull it out of nowhere. Right? They say, hey, this, this is God's word. This is, this, is, this is how God has always worked. You need to keep it. Paul's about to show us, and what I'm going to show us, is that the law is not God's plan. Faith comes before law. And that's what Paul's going to show us, not just with Jesus. Jesus is the picture of that, but it's actually the way and the process in which God has always worked. And in the larger scale, um, we're going to see how this connects to the promises of God. Um, as I take us through the Bible, um, I heard a number of years ago someone said, and I kind of ripped them off. Um, they were like, hey, you know um, what the Bible is? Like, how do you explain the Bible? How do I explain this whole book? And this person said, um, well, the Bible is God's love letter to us. And so I kind of ripped it off because it sounds really nice. Like, ooh, like the notebook, right? It's, just, it's God's letter to us. Like, I'm just reading love letters over here. Um, and like, it kind of is, but um, I'm going to give you a better description of the whole Bible. In one line. Can I give you one line what the whole Bible is? The story of the Bible is God being faithful to his covenant. It is God being faithful to his promise. If you're reading the Bible, wherever you pick it up and you're kind of confused what is going on, remember the bigger picture is that somewhere, somehow, some way, God is showing me that he is faithful to the covenant. Now, um, I'm going to kind of show us now the large narrative of what this covenant is and what exactly um, Paul is going to show in the context of us today. So, you guys ready? As I said, ambitious. We'll see what happens. So, uh, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. And if you brought your Bible to church today, you picked a great day to bring your Bible. Uh, If you didn't bring your Bible to church today, I hope you brought your phone today. And you can uh, get the Bible app, and the Bible app does the same thing. You can highlight, you can underline all these things. We're going on a journey. Uh, If not, guess what? On the screen as well. Love y'all. You're welcome. So, uh, I'll give us a little context. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the earth, uh, creates everything in it. It is good without sin, without blood, just amazing. And so, God creates humans. Genesis 2 is where we pick it up. Genesis 2, chapter 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He said, this is to Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So, context, everything is good. There's no sin. There's no death. There's no hurting. There's no heartache. Adam and Eve are in communion with God. And he gives them one thing and one thing only, this tree. And he says, do not eat from it. If you do, you're going to die. Now, some people are like, well, why would God even put the tree to begin with? Now, uh, my my best, I think, explanation, what I believe is that the reason the tree was there is because God wanted to give Adam choice. One thing you need to understand about God is that God does not want anyone to follow him out of compulsion, meaning they feel like they have to follow him. Maybe your church history was people telling you that you better follow God, otherwise you're going to go to hell, it's going to burn, it's going to be hot. You think it's hot today, plus 35, wait, take it to hell, son. Like... God does not want you to follow him out of obligation. And so from the very first person in the garden, he needed to give them the choice to say, you do not have to follow me. That's just how God rolls. Today, you need to understand, you have the choice to follow him or not. But from the beginning to the end, God says, if you don't follow me, it's not going to work out that well. So he says, if you eat the garden, you will truly die. So, um, some of you guys know the story, some of you guys don't. Here's a spoiler alert. Um, they eat the fruit, right? 
Satan comes and uh, kind of deceives, tempts, and they eat the fruit. And it's funny because God gives them really just one command, don't eat it, and they eat. Now, if I'm God, I'm creating this world, and I'm like, man, like, um, they didn't listen. I want them to love me. I'd probably just start over. <laughs> it's like, well, I told them. <laughs> but when you read Genesis chapter uh, 2, what happens is when Adam and Eve sin, Genesis chapter 3, I should say, um, when, when they sin, the very first thing that God does is God says to Adam and Eve, hey, where are you? One thing you need to understand about God is that when we um, sin, God comes and looks for us. And God does not give up. God does not um, leave them. Instead, he comes to find them. And so I want you to understand, if you feel like you're running from God, um, you're running one way. God's not running the other way. He's running towards you. That's the story from the beginning to the end. And what we're about to see in Genesis chapter 3 is that not only does God find them, um, God makes a promise, the very first promise in Scripture, that he's going to make things right. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he's now talking to Satan. And I put some brackets to help us understand. But he says, um, I will put hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and hers. Her offspring, he, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, a lot of us are like, what does that even mean? Um, but through generations, we have considered this to be the first promise in Scripture and really the first prophecy of Jesus. Basically, what he is saying to Adam, he's saying to Eve, is that there is going to be a male descendant, an offspring, that is going to put an end to this hostility between good and evil, between death and life. He, we know that to be Jesus, will crush the devil's head, and you're only going to strike his heel. And we take that as a prophecy to the cross. He's going to pierce you, but at the end, Jesus wins. And so here's the narrative I want us to understand. Sin enters the world. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be hostility, strife, all of these things. But the promise is that the offspring, one day, Jesus will make it right. So here's the first big theme I want us to understand in Scripture. We mess up. God promises to make it right. This is the very first theme, and it's the theme and the central theme you see throughout Scriptures. We mess up. God promises to make it right. Now, what's really important for us to understand is in this story where Adam and Eve fall, where God makes this promise, um, and you don't have it on, on the screen, but if you have your Bible, um, I'd ask you the question, what does God ask Adam and Eve to do? Because Jesus, God says, I'm going to make it right. What does he ask them to do? Answer, nothing. And this is what we see is the very first unconditional promise in the book um, in the Bible. And so here's a definition of an unconditional covenant. God makes an unconditional covenant. Super simple. God promises it, therefore it will happen. God makes an unconditional covenant. I will make this right. The reason he doesn't require anything of Adam and Eve is because there is nothing Adam and Eve or anyone or anything could do to stop the plan of God, which is to make things right after we mess up. Everyone following? And so there's this beautiful promise. Adam and Eve sinned. God's like, I'm going to make it right. And you would kind of think that like from that point on, they were living like, oh, like I love you, Jesus. I'm not going to mess up anymore. Um, read Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to fly through this, to Genesis chapter 11. 
And what you're going to see, the Bible says, um, you see first their kids, Cain and Abel, uh, doesn't end well. From there, you see more death, more murders, more heartache, more strife. The Bible says that things got so bad, every single person, all they could think of, every inclination they had was evil. This, again, after God said, I'm going to make it right. And so, again, um, you'd think God is like, man, I'm just going to just start over. And he kind of does. Genesis chapter 6, there's a flood. Um, but there's one person named Noah, and don't really have time for Noah. But once again, Noah doesn't really do anything. God just says, hey, I'm going to choose you. And again, flood, Noah has kids. From the moment they come to dry ground, they're messed up people, broken people, some sick things going on. So you guys get the pattern? It's just brokenness, 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 messed up, messed up. People are evil, 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 evil. Then we get to Genesis chapter 12. And this central character we get to in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, the one we sing about in the God of uh, Abraham, the God of covenant, uh, he comes onto the scene. And God is about to speak to Abraham. And Abraham, once again, uh, is just a dude. We don't know a whole lot about him, but what we can kind of gather is that more than likely he was not a follower of God. He served different gods, uh, went his own way. And then all of a sudden, the Lord, God, comes into his life. Genesis chapter 12. Everyone following? Do I need to slow down? Okay. So the Lord, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord comes to Abraham. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. So I want us to notice the personal pronoun. I will, I will, I will, I will make, I will bless, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes this promise to Abraham. He says, listen, all of the entire earth will be blessed through your descendants. Your seed, which we read later on. The whole world will be blessed. It's going to come through your line, Abraham. Now, here's the problem. Abraham's 75 years old, and his wife is barren. She cannot have kids. They've tried for their whole life. They've given up. They've moved to Florida. They're seniors now. <laughs> and it's like, well, why, why, why didn't God choose a young man and a young woman? Well, it's because when God made this promise that the whole world was going to be blessed through them, he went to choose the people that if a child came through them, there'd be no other explanation than it was all and solely God. But what happens, and it's a little bit rocky, um, Abraham kind of has trouble believing the promise, and um, he has trouble a couple of times. This is the first time. (laughs) Then in Genesis 15, God takes him outside. Um, says, Abraham, come here. I know you're struggling because they still didn't have kids. Because listen to this, sometimes God makes a promise and it doesn't come to pass right away. And that's where a lot of us struggle. Because like I thought it's going to happen right away, but God's timing is different. And so God takes him outside and he says to Abraham, he says, um, Genesis 15 verse 5, he says, look up, look to the sky, count the stars. You see all these stars? Abraham's like 1,102, 100. He says, if you can indeed count them, as much as they are, he says, so shall be your offspring. And I did it for you, but if you have a Bible, how did this next part? Verse 6. It says, Abram, and I should mention, he becomes Abraham, started Abram, whole thing. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him his righteousness. Highlight that, underline it three, four, five times. Abraham believed and was credited as righteous. He believed in faith. 
and was credited as righteous. What saved him? Faith. He was saved by his faith. And the point we're going to get to Galatians in a second, the gospel that Jesus proclaims in the New Testament is the same as the old. He believed by faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, the reason that Paul is referencing this story, and I'm giving it to us because for the Jewish people, as Paul talks about in a moment, they'd know right away what he's talking about. But I want to to bring our minds there. You see, for the Jewish people, they had really two central figures, you could say three, um, that that, that really orchestrated their faith, that they built their faith around. One was Abraham, uh, one was Moses, and you could probably say David, you could even say Elijah, but Abraham and Moses, super important people. You see, what happens, um, if you want to wonder, where did the Jews come from? You guys want some family history? So Abraham has a grandson named Jacob. God changes his name to Israel. Israel lives for a while. Israel splits into two groups, um, northern Israel and kind of Judea um, from the tribe of Judah. And over time, in short, they then begin to be referenced to as the Jews. Um, Make sense? Just in case people are wondering, where does the term Jewish come from? Um, But it's really from that. And so the Jewish people... In long, you can forget all of that. (laughs) In short, the Jewish people come from Abraham. Does that make sense? The Jewish people come from the line of Abraham. And so from the line of Abraham, as I said, comes Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. And through this nation of Israel, God gives them the law. And the law comes in Exodus chapter 20. And so Exodus chapter 20 comes a whole bunch of years after this. Paul lets us know 430 years after this. And so what happens for these Jewish people, they rep two things. They wear it like a tattoo. Number one, they refer to themselves as the children of Abraham. It's a cool title, right? We're the children of Abraham. And the second thing they would say is that we're the children of the Abraham and we are faithful to the law. That's just who we are. And so for them, they repped the promise that the whole earth would be blessed through him. And so when Jesus comes and he essentially is the answer to this promise, the Jewish people are like, hey, that's cool, but you still need to be a child of Abraham, which means you need to follow the law. And Paul says, no, you don't. Everyone following still? Because we're going to get to Galatians now. And so the story is this. He's trying to bring them back. And he's saying the reason that that the Gentiles don't need to follow the law is because, he says, Galatians 3, verse 6, which we just read in Genesis, he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, God was saving people before the law. How? Through faith. That's how he's always worked. In Genesis chapter 3, the reason I took us back to Adam and Eve is to show you from the very beginning, from the very first time sin came in, God saved them by faith, just by believing. And so then he says this. He says, understand this. Then those who have faith are actually the children of Abraham. He says, it's not just those born from that line. It's not just the Jewish people. It's not just the circumcised homies. Everyone that puts their faith in Jesus is a child of Abraham. And what that means then is that the promise that God made to Abraham applies to you. That the whole earth will be blessed through Jesus. Jesus is not just for the Jews. Jesus is, and so I'll just continue because that's my point coming. Um, He says, understand, uh, children of Abraham, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations 
will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are a blessing along with Abraham, the man of faith. So two things you need to understand. Number one, it's always been faith. It's always been faith. People say, how come God switched up to faith with Jesus? Wrong. Started with faith. It's always been faith. But the other big thing what's relevant for us is that the promise, the covenant of God, Jesus died for everyone. The promise of Jesus is for everyone. Come on, somebody. The promise of Jesus is for you. Listen, if you feel like you are too far gone, if you feel like you've done too many things, if you feel like you are too far from the grace of Jesus, I'm here to tell you today that the promise remains and the promise is as old as time, that God will make a way when there is no way, that God will take the broken and, and turn it to glory, that God will pursue the people that don't even want to pursue him in order that we may be saved. And maybe you've been running for your entire life. Guess what? That voice, those footsteps you hear, it's Jesus. Because he's running after you. Now, again, he's not going to pull you by the neck and say, come here. Because he gives us the will and the freedom to choose. But his heart is that of a father and his children are lost. And he's he just wants us to come home, come home, come home. And the reason that I want us to know that the promise is for everyone, the reason Galatians and Paul wants us to know the promise is for everyone, is to, number one, understand that there is no group that God favors above others. He's for everyone. But the bigger thing I want us to understand is that what that means for us is that you are not too far from grace. You are not too far gone. The, the entire Old Testament, like if you're feeling bad about yourself, go read the Old Testament. Right? A lot of like, the people that we consider heroes of faith, they're not heroes. They're messed up. Like my son, um, we named him Judah, right? like a strong biblical name. Uh, if you don't know, like Jesus comes from the, line, from the tribe of Judah, and so that's what I tell people. I do not tell them I named him after Judah. Because <laughs> if you've never read the story of Judah, you've been in church for a long time, I can guarantee you one thing. They don't tell the story of Judah in Sunday school. It's just... <laughs> They just don't. I'll give you some spark notes. Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law. Really weird. She pretends to be a prostitute. It's a whole thing. And it's like, oh, I thought you named him Judah because like, you really like the character Judah. No, he's messed up. <laughs> Understand this. They rep Abraham. Abraham's messed up. Talk about him next week. He sleeps with his concubine. It's a good time for him. Um, every single character in the Bible that you see outside of Jesus is messed up. And the Bible does not try to create a picture of heroes, right? Uh, we used to watch these things, the Bible's greatest heroes. That was the, the, the shows we used to watch. There's one hero, his name is Jesus. Everyone else is messed up. And so when you read their stories, you're supposed to connect to them and say, wow, I'm just like Judah. I'm just like Abraham. I'm just like David because I need Jesus. And Jesus, the beauty is, he is for everyone. There is no one too far from grace. That's good news for you. But here's kind of the bad news. Those people that you actually kind of like don't want Jesus to be for, you know those ones? The ones that kind of tick you off, like, I don't, no, he didn't die for them. <laughs> Jesus is for those people as well. He's for everyone. Jesus died for you and he died for the people you can't stand. He died for the people that think different than you, that act different than you. He died for the messed up people, the broken people, the evil people, which is all of us. And I know a lot of us are like, well, man, like, I, feel like, I just feel like I'm too far gone sometimes. I feel like I've gone too much. Well, 
In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says it like this, speaking about Jesus and God. He says, we are faithless. When we are faithless, God remains faithful. This next part is big. He says, for he cannot deny himself. So I want you to understand something. Because a lot of us think that um, the reason that God is faithful is because of his love for us. And that is true. God does love you, for God so loved the world. But at the very end of the day, the bigger reason that you can take the promises of God to the bank is because God cannot deny himself. And what that means is when he made a covenant, when he made a promise, an unconditional promise to, to Adam and Eve, an unconditional promise to Abraham, he's literally saying that there is nothing, no one that can stop me from fulfilling the promise. He can't deny himself. And so what that means is when we, when we repent of our sins, when we come back to him, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we feel gone, he literally cannot deny himself. What do you have to do? Just believe. Just believe. And it's like, well, again, the conflict is like, well, do I need to be a Jew or do I have to believe? And Paul continues, verse 10, he's like, well, he's like, those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And he, he goes old, this is a big Bible study Paul's given. This is Deuteronomy 27 he's quoting. He says, all those who rely, this is a big word, rely, all of those who think that based on what they do, God thinks that of them better. He says, those people are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He says, clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the person who does these things will live by them. So that word, literally, those who rely are cursed. They're cursed. Listen, if you believe that the only way to salvation is by following the law, by following a certain sect of rules, and maybe that was the picture you had growing up, that God only accepts me if I follow these things, if I follow the law, if I follow the commandments. Paul says, no, in fact, you're cursed. Why? Because everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law is cursed. You guys sinned before? Anyone in this room without sin? You're cursed. You're cursed. That's just the truth. Adam and Eve were cursed when they sinned. We are cursed when we sin. Why? Because God is holy. We are not. And God actually cannot come into the presence of our unholiness. So the law kind of helps us to become holy, but because we can't follow it, we're cursed. And it's like, man, that's kind of hopeless, Harrison. That's kind of depressing. Let's read Galatians 13. Christ Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Come on, somebody. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of God, literally what that means is that when we are in Jesus, God does not see your sin. He does not see your downfalls, your shortfalls, your pettiness, your unhumility. He sees Jesus. He sees his righteousness. And so that curse that sounds terrible 
is actually amazing when we're in Jesus because he's redeemed us from that curse. He's saved us. And if you're wondering, man, how can people get so emotional when we sing to Jesus? How can people are raising their hands? Why are they crying? It's because I was lost and Jesus found me. It's because I was cursed and now I'm blessed. It's because I was going to hell, somebody. Come on, somebody. But through Jesus, I'm saved and redeemed. And the curse that belonged on you Jesus took it on the cross. Jesus took it on him. And so he's about to get more theological, so I'm going to read a lot here. Um, he says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is the case here. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. So, kind of confusing, but the basis of what he's saying, he's saying, um, when there is a covenant, the covenant cannot be broken. And so, for the Jewish people, their idea was that, like, if we're not under the law, does that mean that God is breaking that promise? Because didn't God give them the law? And so Paul says, let me explain it even more. This is what I mean. He says, the law was introduced 430 years later, and the law does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So he's flipping their argument upside down because they're saying, hey, we have to follow the law because God gave us the law. Paul says, wrong, the promise came before the law. It was faith first. Genesis 12, Genesis 3, that stuff came before the law. He says, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise of God. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. In other words, take all those huge verses, it's always been faith. That's what he's saying. It's always been faith. Whatever you have heard, whatever experience you have, it's always been faith. And I know, and one of the things that happens so many times is that the people that will do the greatest damage to us are not those who believe in the Bible, but it is those who will use the Bible to crush us. Who put, and that's why when you read the New Testament, so often he's not speaking about the crazy people that, that just live an immoral life and don't know anyone. He's more often than not in the New Testament, it's referring to people that claim to follow God but are misrepresenting um, his truth. And that's what Paul is on the defense against. He's saying, listen, the law is, is fine, but grace came first. It's always been faith. And now for the people, the Bible scholars in this room, you're like, well, if it's always been faith... Why did God give us the law in the first place? Anyone's mind go there? Like, why would God even give us a law if it's always been faith? Well, good thing Paul's ahead of us. He says, why then was the law given at all? If it's always been faith, why did God give us a law? He says, it was added because of transgressions until, someone underlined until, the seed being Jesus to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. This is the Ten Commandments he's talking about, given to Moses, who's the mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. So what he's saying, he's saying literally the promise of faith came from God himself. The law was given through a whole bunch of people. Like God was playing telephone on that one. But what he's saying, he's saying the law did not come until after, and it was only given... Because of transgression. What that means is this. God gave a law because he knew people were messed up. 
And so the law was there to keep you in line until Jesus, who is the embodiment of faith, who, until Jesus, who is the picture of goodness, of grace, of love and mercy, until he came, you needed a set of rules. You needed it written out, super simple, so it made sense. But what he's saying, he's saying the law was only supposed to be temporary. It was transitory. It was only for a time. He says then, verse 21, he says, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? He says, no, absolutely not. They're both from God still. He says, if a law, though, had been given that it could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if following the rules could bring you life, there'd have been no need for Jesus. That was never what the law was for. He says, Scripture says that everything has been locked up under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through the faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before coming to faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law, look at this, was our guardian again until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So, so the whole point of the law, and, and again, like it's, 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 it's quite ex- extensive. If you guys have 10 minutes this week, just go, like 10 hours, I should say. Um, go read it. I know so many people that read the Bible. They're like, man, I'm going to start in Genesis and uh, just read my way through. And time after time again, people get taken out in Exodus, <laughs> shot in Leviticus. Like, I almost made it to Numbers. And they're books, and they're good to read, but what we need to understand is when you read these books, the purpose of reading the law is not to make yourself feel better. It's not a list of how do I live. The whole purpose of the law is to show us one thing and one thing only. God is holy, and you are not. This is God's standard that you can never achieve. And because you can't, you're cursed. And so literally what he says, he says, the law was our guardian. It was literally our babysitter, that's the word. It was there to keep us in check until Christ came, that we may be justified by faith. So here's the point I want us to understand. We all need Jesus. Jesus is for everyone, but we all need need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Why? Because I cannot get to the place that I need to get by myself. I cannot follow all the rules perfectly. I just can't. And I was never supposed to. The law was there to keep me in check, to keep me safe. Literally, the picture he's saying is he has this um, kind of dichotomy between faith and the law. He's saying the law is literally like a father holding our hands. Like, I got, I got two girls, and um, like when we walk, um, I always want to hold their hand, right? Because, like, I'm, I'm afraid. Like, I don't want them to run in the street because they just, they just shoot sometimes. And so I'm always holding their hand. But one thing I know as a father is that I'm not going to be able to hold their hand forever. And there's going to come a time, if, I'm tw- if they're 25 years old and I have to hold their hand, what that means is they have not grown up and they have not matured. And I have not imparted what I actually wanted to impart on them. And the idea of the law is that if we govern our lives by the law and we never step over into faith, what that means is we have not matured. We all need Jesus. You see, the law was our for, for our protection 
but the law was never intended to give us salvation. The law is good, but it's not the end. It's like the example that I always give. The Bible says um, in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That means don't have an affair. Um, and I always ask couples, uh, I say, hey, when you wake up every morning, um, do you guys crack open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20? Um, and just say, hey, spouse, just a quick reminder, thou shalt not commit adultery today. Thank you, I needed that. No one does that, right? Because the idea is, as your relationships deepens, I don't need to be a person that governs everything by rules. I should do things out of my relationship. The reason I'm faithful to my wife is not because the Bible tells me to. It is because I love her deeply. And the reason I'm faithful to Jesus is not because of a set of rules. It is because he has died for me. And that is now my um, compulsion. I'm compulsed only because he's died for me, and I actually want to. And so it actually moves from, co from compulsion, from obligation, to devotion, where I want to devote myself to him. And so he says, Galatians 3.25, he says, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So I know I got more theological than I usually do, um, but I really wanted to break that down because I want us to understand as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if we do not believe that our only way, our only ticket out of here is through faith, we've lost everything. Because what you do will never be enough. It could never be enough. By biology, you guys aren't children of Abraham, unless there's some Jewish people here today. Then what's up? But those who put their faith in Jesus, those who put their trust in Jesus, Bible says, are heirs according to the promise. In other words, the promise of Jesus is available for us today. The promise of Jesus is available for us today. Jesus has been making a way for you today. And he's been making a way by faith since the very beginning. It's never been about you. It'll never be about you. It's never been about me. It's never been about my faithfulness, my good deeds, my good works, my devotion. It has always been about his. And the reason that God is like that is because God made a promise and that promise will come to pass because God is faithful to his name because God's name is that on which he made the promise. And he's faithful to his covenant. And so I just want us, can we just stand for a second today? I want us to just, just receive this really quickly. If you've never, um, you've never known this, if you always thought there was something that you had to do, if you thought that following a list of rules and regulations and commandments, if you thought that is what would save you, you didn't know that Jesus made a promise to save us by faith in the very beginning. I wanna give us that opportunity to say, hey Jesus, I wanna, I wanna respond to you today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wanna give us that opportunity. You've never responded to Jesus before or maybe it's a recommitment to Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm laying down my own way and I'm going to follow your way. If that's you today, I would just love to pray for you. If you could just show me your hand.
I love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You see every single hand, you see every single heart, God. And I just pray that today um, we can just see that you are a covenant, promise-keeping God, that you are faithful to your word, that you made a way where there was no way, that you have redeemed us from the curse of the law and have brought life through faith, Jesus. So I pray today that for those of us who want to put our trust in you for the very first time, God, I pray that we make that step today in this moment, in this space. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's clap our hands. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.